Good to see everyone out tonight. Uh, hope that you're doing well. We had a good men's business meeting, and uh, things are moving right along in a very positive way, and uh, we should all be thankful for that. I'm glad that uh, the um, some of the financial information is being put out for the ladies, and hopefully in the near future you will get more and more information uh, from the men's business meeting so you can know what's going on in the church here, and I think that's a good thing, very positive. And so uh, keep praying for the church here. Let's pray for each other, one another, uh, that we will continue to grow and be strong in the Lord and that our love one for another will grow uh, stronger each day. This, tonight I want us to continue the message that we started this morning titled Promises of God for the Loyal. Last week we talked about some reasons why we should be loyal to God and we named just a few. There are many uh, but we named a few, and any one of those reasons is reason enough for us to be loyal to our Creator. But God has given us many promises. As Peter says in first, Second Peter chapter 1, verse 4, he said, the Bible says, Peter wrote, whereby are given unto us exceeding, exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the pollution that is in the world through lust. And so tonight I want to continue with us talking about some of these great, exceeding great and precious promises that God has promised us, keeping in mind that when God makes a promise, he keeps his promise. He is a promise keeper in every sense of the word. And so when God makes a promise, you can count on it. There are promises that are unconditional, but there are also promises that are conditional. And the ones that we're talking about tonight are those that are con some that are conditional, and it's for those who obey the gospel of Jesus Christ and are loyal to God. And so, as we noticed this morning, we looked at four of those promises. The first one was that we've all been promised the forgiveness of all of our past sins. Once you were baptized into Christ, every single sin that you had ever committed was washed away by the blood of Jesus. Now, that's a promise, and that's a good deal for us, and we like good deals. God uh, said if we'll obey the gospel, he will forgive us of every sin we've ever committed. The hard part, I find, is forgiving myself. What about you? But then we also notice not only did he promise and has he promised to forgive us of all of our past sins, so once we've obeyed the gospel, that was put in action. It was done. So when we were baptized, we came out of the water. We went in as sinners. We came out as saints with not one single sin held against us. But if that was the end of God's saving grace, we would be in trouble, wouldn't we? Because not too long after coming out of the waters of baptism, we probably realized this is not going to be as easy as I thought it was going to be. And before long, we stumbled and committed another sin. And, but another promise that God has given us is that he will continue to forgive us of our present sins as long as we continue to be loyal to him, not perfect. There's a difference in being loyal, being faithful, and being perfect. None of us are sinlessly perfect. We're not flawless. We're in the flesh. We're going to commit isolated acts of sin along the way. But if we will do what he's told us to do, which is repent, confess our sins, and pray, 
then he will forgive us. That continues as long as we walk in the light, 1 John 1, 7. So if you commit a sin now, you can ask his forgiveness, he'll forgive you. You continue to walk in that light, and you commit a sin in the future, you do the same thing. The second law of pardon is what we call it many times, found in 1 John chapter 1, beginning with about verse 7. So what a promise. What a blessing to know that, yes, we can make it, not because we're so perfect, but because he is, and his plan is perfect. And then we talked about that he's promised uh, us the assurance of successful labors, because if we speak his word, his word's not going to return unto him void. It's going to do exactly what he intended for it to do. And as long as we're doing the works of God, those are his works that he has for us to do. As we notice, he has foreordained that we should walk in those good works. If we're doing those good works that we read about in God's word and we're saying the good words that he's commanded us to say, well, we can't be rejected. And his word and his works are going to be successful. Sometimes we measure success in different ways than God does. And so we need to be careful of that or we'll be depressed and down on ourselves when actually... We're saying the things we ought to be saying and doing the things we ought to be doing, and we've been promised success. But not only that, we notice that we have been promised his providential help. Where would we be without God? One of the reasons I love to study the Old Testament is I really see God back there at work in the lives of men. When you start with Noah, uh, you just start with Adam, as a matter of fact, and just come all the way through there, those different characters of those great people. We know they were all flawed, and we saw they made mistakes. They tried to help God out with his plan, and, but God would still be there, and he would intervene, and he would make the corrections. He would take care of them. He would meet their needs. Well, that God has not left us. He hasn't gone off on vacation. He doesn't work miraculously today, but he does work through his providence. He's still working on behalf of the loyal, those that are loyal to him. And so we have been promised that he will help us. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. Then number five, tonight we'll begin with the promise of fellowship with the best people in the world. I think we experienced some of that. Well, I know we did last night, didn't we? The time we had to come together to fellowship with our brothers and sisters. It doesn't get any better than that. The loyal of God are in the greatest family there will ever be. God's family. You remember when the disciples asked Jesus, they were talking about what all they had given up for the cause of Christ, and they said, you know, what's in it for us? And in Mark 10, verse 30, Jesus said, But he shall receive a hundredfold, and this time houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children. What a family. A hundredfold. It just goes on and on. The family of God is huge. And as you've already experienced, you can go anywhere in this country. And when you go to the, uh, where the congregation is meeting, you find members of the Church of Christ, they will love you and treat you like their own. The blessings of being in the greatest family of all. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning with verse 25, Paul wrote, and he said that there be no schism in the body or no division in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all members rejoice with it. We also have to keep in mind that we're not the whole body of Christ. 
We are a part of the body of Christ. The church goes throughout the whole world. We're all members of the same body. There's only one body, Ephesians 4, 4. And that body says church, Ephesians 1, 22 and 23. And that's why when you go to other places, other cities and other countries, you find members of the church of Christ, they, they love you like their own. They care for you. They will take you in. If you have a need, they will meet that need if any way possible. What a blessing to have the fellowship with the best people in the world. There are other good people out there. I'm not saying people outside the body of Christ are not good people. They won't take care of you because there are many very good people who are outside the body of Christ that have not learned the truth yet, and they will serve you and minister to you and love you also. But as a family as a whole, it doesn't get any better than God's family because God's family consists of those who love sacrificially. They don't mind sacrificing. Just like you with your children, you sacrifice. How much money do you think that you've invested in each of your children over the years? There's no telling, is it? Lots of money. But do you regret it? Do you mind having invested money in them or time in them? Not at all. You gave unselfishly, and you enjoyed it, and you don't regret any of that. Well, that's the way it is with the family of God. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 15, Paul said, Where is then the blessedness ye spake of? For I bear you record that if it had been possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. That's the kind of love I'm talking about. Paul said of the churches in the region of Galatia, If I had needed your eyes, if it had been possible, you would have plucked your own eyes out and gave them to me. That's the kind of people I'm talking about, that we are a part of a family of people just like that. In 1 John 3, verse 16, John wrote, Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Now, you know there are people in the church of Christ who would die for you if need be? Absolutely. They would give their lives for you. If they were in a situation where they could save your life and give their own, they would, they would take that risk because of their love for you. What a family. In Acts chapter 4, beginning with verse 32, a lot of people had stayed in Jerusalem. They obeyed the gospel. There were a lot of poor saints there. And the Bible says, And the multitude of them uh, actually... We'll have to look that one up. It's, and then we talk about Barnabas there as well. Acts chapter 4. Let's go to verse 32. Acts 4, 32. Notice, this is a, a very good passage. Acts 4, 32. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. That describes the church of Christ, doesn't it? One heart, one soul, with the same mind. Neither said any of them that all of the things which he possessed was his own, why? Because we realize everything we have belongs to God. We get to borrow those things and give them away, but they're really His. But they had all things common, and with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked 
For as many as were possessors of land or houses sold them and brought the prices of the things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet and distribution was made to every man according as he had need. That's the people I'm talking about. The people that will sell off what they have to help their brothers and sisters in need. Now, we don't have a need to do that right now here at Fairhope because we all have plenty from the looks of things. But I'll guarantee you, if the need did arise where you needed food, clothing, shelter, you could find it right here because that's what you have in the Church of Christ. That's the family that you become a part of, and God has promised that in Galatians 6.1. The Bible also teaches, brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. They will also help you when you're down, when you, when you are overtaken in a fault, and they know about that fault. They will work with you and come to you and help you to strengthen you and build you up and help you to be right and pleasing in God's sight. So, what a promise to be a part of the greatest family in the world. You obey the gospel. You're in that family. But also we have the promise of the privilege of prayer, knowing that God will hear and answer. You see, that's only for those who are in Christ Jesus. Galatians, uh, Ephesians 1.3, all spiritual blessings in heavenly places are in Christ Jesus. That's those that are loyal to him, that have been obedient and have been baptized into Christ and they're loyal to him. In Philippians 4, verse 6, Paul said, Be careful for nothing. In other words, don't worry about these things. Be careful. Don't be anxious. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. God already knows what we need, but he wants to hear from us. And so your promise, if you'll talk to God, he's going to act upon your prayers. In John 9, verse 31, the Bible says, Now we know that God heareth not sinners, but if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. Now that's you. He hears your prayers. Now notice what John said in 1 John 5, verse 14. He said, And this is the confidence that we have in him. This is the assurance that we have, being loyal to him in Christ Jesus, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he heareth us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desire of him. What's that say? When God hears you, he answers your prayers. We may not always get the answer that we're seeking for, but we get the right answer. And the right answer every time. And so, just like in James chapter 5, verse 16, the Bible says, Confess your faults one to another, pray one for another, that you may be healed. Notice this. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Not because of that man. The man doesn't make it avail. God does. God acts. When the righteous people pray, the devil shakes. That's the last thing he wants. Because God acts in behalf of those that are loyal to him. He hears and answers their prayers. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 22. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Tonight, are you keeping his commandments? Are you doing those things that are pleasing in his sight? Well, if that's the case, I want you praying for me. 
Because when you pray, God answers. And I want to be a part of that. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, the writer writes, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace. Not, not in an arrogant way, but in a confident way. In, in, in a way where we, we're saying, hey, I have faith. I'm going, to the, I'm going to the throne of grace, and I have faith that God's going to answer. He's going he's to hear me. That we may obtain mercy. We all need mercy, right? And find grace to help in time of need. We need God's grace. We need God's help. And if you're loyal to God in Christ Jesus, you have the privilege of having your prayers answered. And so know that every time you pray, every time you talk, you talk to God, He's listening carefully. And He acts on your prayers in favorable ways. Another promise that He has promised us is that a life of moral purity that will cause no regrets. No regrets. I have a lot of regrets in my life, don't you? But I tell you what, I have never regretted obeying the gospel of Jesus Christ. I have never regretted being a Christian and living the Christian life. No regrets there. I've got regrets. But it was when I stepped out of the will of God, not when I stepped into the will of God. You'll never have regrets of doing what's right, saying the right thing, doing the right thing, doing those things that God has commanded. Look at Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, Paul talks about this very thing, beginning with about verse 5. He says, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, which is passions, evil concupiscence, which is evil desires, uh, and covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh upon the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked sometime when you lived in them. You remember when you lived in those sins? You were guilty of those things? I bet you regret that now, don't you? I do. I regret everything I've ever done like that. But now ye also put off all these. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Don't you hate to hear someone using foul language? Using God's name in vain? Isn't that a terrible thing? I'm thankful I'm no longer in the construction field uh, work because I heard a lot of things like that and you couldn't get away from much of it. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds. That's the best thing a person can do. Put off that old man with his deeds. And that's not the end of it. You don't just stop doing those things. You've got to put on something, right? You take off and you put on. And have put on the new man which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. You see, that's why it's the greatest people in the world because they've taken on the image of God. They're striving to be like Christ. Where there is neither Jew nor neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond or free, nor free, but God is all and in all. That's the key. You need Christ. I mean, Christ. Christ should be your all in all. He's what you're all about. You live to please Him. And so, when you allow Christ to be your all in all. You'll, you have no regrets. 
you never will. You put off all those bad things that he talked about and you put on the good. You take off the old man, you put on the new, you'll never regret becoming a new man in Christ Jesus. Unlike the rich man in Luke 16 who fared sumptuously every day, he had all he could ever want. And then you had the beggar Lazarus that was laid at the rich man's gate full of sores, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. Remember the Bible says that Lazarus died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died. One of the differences besides being carried to Abraham's bosom was the rich man was buried. The Bible doesn't say the old poor beggar was buried. I doubt he even had a place to be buried. But remember this. The rich man, the Bible says, in hell he lifts up his eyes. Seeing Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and, me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I'm tormented in this flame. Don't you know he had some regrets? And then he said, I've got five brothers. Send Lazarus to my father's house. He had regrets. Regrets that he hadn't lived the way he should have lived. Regrets that he hadn't been what he should have been to his brothers and the rest of his family. He had a lot of regrets. People die every day and they have all these regrets, but I promise you, you'll never have any regrets from putting on Christ Jesus. In Luke chapter 17, verse 32, the Bible says, Remember Lot's wife. What did she do? She looked back. Once you put on Christ, you don't look back. When you start, you keep going forward. Don't look back at the old man. Sometimes I hear people boasting and bragging about what they used to be and what they used to do. And sometimes they say it in such a way, it almost sounds like they're missing that old life. When you become a Christian, and as you have become a Christian, you need to think more like the Apostle Paul. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 13 and 14, you remember Paul said, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which uh, are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Paul said, I put that behind me. That old way of life, I put that behind me. I learned better, and now I'm pressing on. I'm looking ahead. I'm going forward. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, and also verse 8, Paul wrote, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. You think he was regretting becoming a Christian? Allowing himself to be baptized, to have his sins washed away, Acts 22, 16, of living the Christian life. Oh, no. Notice, he goes on to say, as he's nearing the end of his life, he says, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give to me in that day, and not to me only, but to all them that love his appearing. Oh, he sounds mighty happy to me. He's got a lot of confidence and assurance because it's based on God's promises. You be loyal to God, and he's going to take care of you, and the life that he had for us to live has no regrets in it. The only regret that I hear people say is, I regret that I didn't obey the gospel sooner. That's what people say. It's the life to live. Just think, 
as is mentioned in Matthew 25, verse 21, and also 23. When the day comes that you hear the Lord say these words, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Don't you want to hear that? Well, that's what's at the end of the Christian life, being loyal to God. In Matthew 5, verse 8, Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. You'll never regret being pure in heart. In this life is over, you'll see God. Another promise that he's promised us is his promise number 8 that we're going to discuss is the blessing of contentment with ourselves. And I'll throw in there with it, peace with God. Contentment with ourselves, peace with ourselves, and what we have. Christians are some of the most content people I've ever met. They're not worried about things that the world worries about. And they have no reason to worry about those things. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12, Paul said, Not that I speak in respect of want or lack, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. When you learn that, you've learned something. You live as a Christian, you should be content with whatever state you're in. And then he says, I know both how to be abased, I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Paul said, I'm going to be content no matter what. Why? Because my God's going to take care of me. And he was sure of that. That doesn't mean becoming a Christian, living a loyal life to God, does not mean you'll never suffer anything. Actually, I believe the Bible teaches suffering does us good. It does us good to be persecuted. It does us good to have to stand. And it does us good sometimes to go without. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6 through 8, Paul wrote Timothy and he said, but godliness with contentment is great gain. You know, people that are not content are miserable human beings. They're never satisfied. The Christian life is a very satisfying life when we realize who our God is and the promises that he's promised us. And then he goes on to remind the readers that of this. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we can carry nothing out. What a true statement. And then he says, and having food and raiment, let us be there with content. You've got clothes, you've got food, and hopefully you live in a happy home. You've got that, you've got it going on. You've got a place to worship where we worship God in spirit and in truth. You've got a place, a family, a place in that family where people here love you and care for you and will do whatever it is that you may need. And then, of course, that peace with God. If you've got peace with God, that's where it's at, isn't it? And if you don't have peace with God, you're not going to be very content. And you're not going to be very happy either, and you're not going to have much joy in your life. In Romans chapter 5, verse 1, Paul said, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of what Jesus did for us, he gave us the opportunity to obey the gospel, that we could have our sins forgiven by the blood of Jesus, and then live in peace with God no longer separated, Isaiah 59, verse 1 and 2, because of our sins. And then he's also promised to raise us from the dead 
and to give us new bodies. Now, I'm so thankful that there's going to be a resurrection. Can you imagine what it would be like if we were just like the animals and you die and that's it? It's all over with. No more you. In John chapter 5, verse 28 and 29, Jesus said, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in thee which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice and shall come forth. They that have done good to the resurrection of life and they that have done evil to the resurrection of damnation. There's going to be a resurrection day. And what a day it will be. You see, if the Lord tarries, we will all face death. We will be separated from our earthly tabernacles. Our bodies will be laid in the ground. Our spirits will go to be with God. But that's not the end. There will be a resurrection. And then we will receive our new bodies that are made just for heaven. In Philippians 3, verse 20 and 21, Paul said, For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body. Can you imagine changing this old vile body, this old corruptible flesh and blood body, to a glorified body. You know, sometimes your body just gives you fits, doesn't it? And sometimes, I mean, there's things we could probably all, oh, if I could change this, I'd change this, I'd change that. Really, these old bodies are not that glorious, are they? Not really. But I tell you what, the one that he's promised, those that are loyal to him in Christ Jesus, will be a glorified body. I don't know exactly what the body of Jesus looks like right now, but I know one thing. I want one just like his. Just like his. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, John said, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. Doesn't that have a good ring to it? Now are we the sons of God. And it doth not uh, yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. I want to be just like him, don't you? Whatever body he's got, I want. Because if it's good enough for him, it's good enough for me. And then some. We will be like him. When I think about growing older, and I think about Brother Larry and his knee surgery that he just had, and I know when I heard he was having knee surgery, all I could think of was pain. Because I know people that went through those surgeries, and now, the good thing is, normally once all the healing is over with, they're like, I wish I'd have done it sooner. But when you're going through that process, you're probably not wishing that. Uh, and so, but as my body grows older and you have those aches and the pains and you can't go and do like you used to could do, you start thinking, wow, can I trade this one in on another one? Well, there's coming a day when this old body's going to be changed. This body gives us a lot of pain and suffering, doesn't it? We shed a lot of tears in this life. But you know what? In Revelation 21, verse 4, the Bible says, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death. The, to me, one of the most difficult things to deal with in this life has been death. The separation from those that you love. 
and you watch them go down the valley of death, shadow of death, and you see what happens to them and you see their struggles and their difficulties and you just want to help them, you want to fix them, you want to make them well, you, you know, you want to give them life, but you can't. You don't have that power. But you know what? There's going to be a place where there'll be no more separation. Because the bodies that we will have that will be like his, they will never die. They'll never die. They'll, they won't cry. They won't be sad. Neither will there be any sorrow nor crying. And there will be no more pain. I don't like pain. It hurts, doesn't it? When we get our new bodies, they'll know no pain, no sorrow, no sickness, no dying. Because you see, all the former things will be passed away. But also... Number 10, he has promised us that we will be united with all the redeemed of all ages. Now, you want to talk about a homecoming. That's a homecoming. Some people say a home going. You hear that at funerals sometimes, and that might be more in line. But just think of being with all the redeemed of all ages. That's a good reason for living the Christian life, isn't it? And so you can be with all those again. The Bible says in Matthew 8, verse 11, And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and from the west and shall sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Oh, I want to see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, don't you? I've read about them. I've read about Lot. I've read about so many others. I want to see them. I want to be with them. But I also think about those that I've known just the 20 years I've been here at Fairhope who have been faithful souls and we watched them leave the walk to this life. And we talk about them all the time. We think about them even more often than that. But we can just hear them from time to time, can't we? You know, I know every one of you that knew Brother Truman, you'll never forget Brother Truman. There's never been a character in this old world like Brother Truman. But I tell you what, he said and did things that stuck in our minds. Sister Lucy, the first time I came here, I stuck my hand out. I was trying out preaching in the gospel meeting, I believe it was. She was standing back there. I stuck my hand out. She said, you ain't shaking my hand, preacher. She said, my name is Lucy B. Good, and I'm a hugger. And, buddy, she was a hugger. But I think about people like Sister Lucy and Sybil and all the others and Aletha and my parents and some of your parents, and look, we're going to get to be with them again because we've been promised it. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 and 17. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. And then he says, Wherefore comfort one another with these words. There are no words in the Bible more comforting than those. Those that have gone on will be resurrected. Those that are still alive, we be in that group. We will go up together, and we will meet the Lord in the air. And we'll always be with the Lord. And so, my last promise we're going to talk about tonight, and that is he has promised us a new home. You see, in 2 Peter chapter 3, he talks about how this old world is going to be destroyed. Oh, people don't believe it. 
They mocked. They, you know, Peter said in the last days there'd be mockers and scoffers. Well, they're here. But I tell you what, this old earth is going to be destroyed by fire. Second Peter 3.10 no doubt about it. It's not going to be refined. It's not going to be fixed in any certain way. It's going to melt with fervent heat. It's going to burn. It's going to be totally destroyed. It will be no more. That's why Peter said in 2 Peter 3, verse 13, Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, you remember the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-serving to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should repent. God's not slack concerning his promise. He's not going to be late. He's not going to be tardy. God's timing is always exact. And when the, the right time comes, he's going to send fire to destroy this old world. So therefore, we, as those loyal to Christ, to God, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth the righteous. That's what we're looking forward to. That's why we live every day. We live looking into the future for that new heavens and that new earth where all the righteous will be gathered together, all the redeemed of all ages. And so it's comforting to hear Jesus say, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. John chapter 14, 1 through 3. You see, that's another promise, but we won't get into that. But he's promised that Jesus is coming again. The grave couldn't hold him. They nailed him to that old rugged cross. They put him in that borrowed tomb. They put the stone, they sealed the stone, they put soldiers outside, but you know what? He is risen. And just as surely as you believe that he came out of that borrowed tomb and walked among the people for 40 days, showing himself alive with many infallible proofs, Acts chapter 1, verse 3, you can know he's coming again. There's going to be a second coming. We don't know when. It will be as it was in the days of Noah. People be marrying and giving in marriage. And all of a sudden, the trump will sound, and the dead will be raised, and the Lord will come, and we'll meet him in the air. Oh, our God is so good. He has promised us so many wonderful things, many of which we are enjoying this very evening. And yet more promises to be fulfilled in the future. And they're good. As long as we will be loyal unto him until the end. Revelation 2.10, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, we encourage you to become one. That's where you, you start being loyal is by obeying the gospel. Believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You must believe or else you'll die in your sin, John 8, 30, uh, 8 24. And you must repent of all your sins, Acts 17, 30, and 31. And then you must confess that you believe that Jesus Christ is Son of God, Matthew 10, 32. And then be baptized to have your sins washed away, Acts 22, 16. If you're here tonight and you haven't obeyed the gospel, do it tonight. And begin living a life loyal to God. So you can benefit from all these wonderful 
promises that God has promised. If you're here tonight and you've strayed away, you're not living the faithful Christian life, you remember he's promised that if you'll come back, repent and pray, he'll forgive you. Walk in the light. Walk down that straight and narrow way that leads to life, to heaven above. And one day you'll hear those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. If you're here tonight and you need to respond, we can assist you in any way. Won't you come? Us together we stand and sing.